as our host team is finishing up, um, there's one thing I want to mention before we dive in. Last Sunday, uh, as we announced our new church name and we ended our We Will Not Wait series, we asked everyone who, you know, said, this is my church, I'm committing to be a part of this family, I'm committing to move forward with this group of people who make up Cross Point City Church, we had all of you uh, sign a commitment card. Just put your name on this We Will Not Wait card, and you probably noticed when you walked in today that there's this big art piece in our lobby with all of these cards hanging on the background of those. Now, um, if you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to sign one of these, you can still do that today. But uh, as of this morning, before our 9 o'clock service, there were only about 40 blank cards that still needed signatures. So I, I don't know if the 9 o'clock, like where they landed, how many people did it, but you can still beat out the 11.59, okay? Um, that's the advantage of you being here now. So after the service, if you want to go out to our connection desk, we have these available, a certain, um, a certain number of these, and you can sign your name, and the next week when you show up, the, uh, the blank cards will be filled with name cards. That would be great if you want to do that, all right? Um, let's get our Bibles, or if you have a device with a version app on it, grab it. And let's go to Judges chapter 7 together. Judges chapter 7. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, um, Judges, it's the seventh book of the Bible. So if you can find Genesis, count over seven books, you'll run into Judges, okay? Over the past month, if you've been here, you know we've been in this series about the future of our church. We will not wait. And we've been saying over the course of that series that moving forward, we want to be a church that relentlessly pursues the 260,000 unchurched people in our community with the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be about. Now, I realize that a vision series like that, it is intended to fire people up. It's intended to get people thinking future. It's intended to kind of unite us, to bring us together around a common mission and a common goal. And, and I know that a lot of you guys are fired up, right? Some of us are, are ready to charge hell with a water pistol, and that's awesome. But listen to me, I, I realize that others of you that may have walked in the room over the past four weeks, you may have left after some of these messages kind of doubting yourself. Like maybe you walked out of the room and you've listened to kind of what we're talking about when we think future, and you've thought to yourself, I really want to be a part of that, and it sounds amazing, and I want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, and I want to be a part of, of seeing that happen. But maybe you've left going, I just don't know if I have what it takes. Like maybe because of your past, maybe because of the family you grew up in, maybe because of, of struggles you have going on right now, like you doubt that you have what it takes to be used by God when it comes to the mission of this church. If that's you, here's what I want to say to you this morning. This message is specifically designed for you. I was going to preach a different message today, and for some reason I, I felt like God kept putting this one on my heart. And my goal for those people in the room here this morning that just wonder, maybe just wonder, maybe have the slightest doubt in their mind, can God really use me for what we've talked about? My goal today is simple. I want to convince you that the answer to that question is absolutely yes that you absolutely have what it takes to be a part of the mission of this church. But, but look at me, this is really important for you to hear. It's not because you're so awesome and amazing, right? It's because God is awesome and he is amazing and God is in the business of using very ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things on his behalf. 
You have what it takes to be a part of the mission of this church moving forward, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. And that's what I want to convince you of today before you leave. So we're going to dive into Judges 7, and we're going to get to work, all right? In this passage, we find a familiar story to those of us who grew up in church. And if you didn't grow up in church, this is going to be a cool story for you to hear today. It's the story of a guy named Gideon. Gideon was a man living in Israel during a time in which the Jewish people were suffering under heavy oppression due to a nation called Midian, the Midianites, for seven years. They would come into Israel at the time of the harvest, and they'd bring a lot of their friends with them, and they would come in and steal all the food in Israel. They would lay devastation to the land. I mean, they would just completely ruin the place and then they would leave. And when this happened, the Bible tells us that the Jewish people, they would literally hide out in caves in fear of their lives. So seven years in Israel, there's extreme poverty and there's a lot of fear because of this powerful nation. Now, this sounds kind of weird at first, but just stay with me, okay? The reason the Jewish people suffered like this, it was because of how they were living, things that they had done. It was their own fault, okay? And I'll explain. In the Old Testament, God consistently and constantly told his people that if they would obey him, if they would follow him, that he would be their God, he would bless them, he would protect them. But he also told them consistently and constantly, if you don't follow me, if you don't obey me, things are going to go really, really bad for you. Well, what do you think the Jewish people were doing during the seven years of oppression? All the things God told them would lead to suffering. They had set up false gods. They had abandoned God, and they were suffering the consequences. I still, at some point in my ministry, want to do a series like on all Old Testament, and I'm going to call it God's Not Mean, People Are Dumb. Because I think God was really clear. Just do this, and I'll do this. But if you don't do this, it's going to go really bad. And so they were doing the things that led to all the bad stuff. And finally, after seven years, they woke up one day and said, yeah, we've been kind of dumb. Um, we should probably go ask God to forgive us and to help us. And that's what he does. That's what they do. God, because he's gracious and patient and kind and good and loving, he responds, and he chooses to use this man Gideon to free his people from this oppression. And in Judges 7, we find the story of how God did it. So we're going to pick up and we're going to start reading in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible or a device, you can follow along up on the screens. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then Jerubal, that's Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000, listen to that, 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. All right, think about what we just read and put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment, okay? You are about to go into battle with your biggest enemy, and you are taking with you 32,000 men. Your enemy, the Midianites, they have 135,000 trained soldiers. The Bible tells us that they had so many camels that they couldn't be counted. They, were, they could be compared to grains of sand on a seashore, just camels everywhere, spitting in people's faces like... I mean, it was disgusting, right? You're going into battle against that army 
with 32,000 men, very little weaponry, very little resources. And as you're getting ready, God comes to you and says, uh, you have too many people here. We can't go fight yet. Um, Gideon, we need to thin the army out just a bit. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your army and tell them that if they are scared, then they should go home. And so Gideon steps in front of his guys, and he goes, hey, if you guys don't want to be here, or if you're scared about what we're getting ready to do, you can leave. 22,000 men raise their hands and go, yeah, that's me. I'm out. I'm going home. Right? So you're left with 10,000. I don't know how Gideon responded to that. I would have probably been handing out some free kidney punches along the way to every man that was turning his back on me. But Gideon, he keeps moving forward with the 10,000 he has. And I love what the Scripture tells us at this point. The Scriptures tell us exactly why God did this. And here was the reason. It's because God wanted the army of Israel and everybody who heard about this battle to know that what they were getting ready to do, it wasn't going to be because of their bravery, their skill, their courage. Like God wanted everybody that heard about this battle to know that the only way Israel could defeat this army of 135,000 men was with his help and his power. He wanted everyone to know who would hear about this story that if it weren't for him, that all the Jewish people would be dead by the end of this fight. And God was so serious about making this point that he, he actually comes back to Gideon again in the next set of verses, and he tells Gideon that they need to thin the army out one more time. Read this with me. Picking back up in verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit by himself. And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his own home. So think about this. Gideon starts with 32,000 guys, and by the time God is done, he's got 300 men left. That is less than 1% of what he started with, and God's going, okay, now we're in business. Now we can fight. Now we can defeat this army. Now, can you imagine being on that team, the team of 300? Like, I'd be wondering how in the world I got picked for that team. Like, I'd want to be on the team that just left. But God does Gideon a huge, huge favor. Because, I, I mean, I, I just think about this. God knows Gideon's a man. He knows these 300 men are probably losing their minds at this point. So God comes to Gideon, and he says, Okay, Gideon, I want you to go down to the camp of Midian, and I want you to listen to what they're saying. And so Gideon goes. He goes down to the tent where they're camped, and he, he brings a servant with him. And when he gets there, he hears this soldier telling a buddy of his about a dream he had. It's a really weird dream. He tells his friend, hey, listen, I dreamed last night that this loaf of bread came tumbling through our camp and overturned our tent and basically wiped us out. And he said, I think what this means is that God has given us up to Gideon and that he's getting ready to come and to destroy us. Now, when Gideon hears this, I love his response. You know what he does before he does anything? The Bible says he worships. He stops 
and he pauses and he praises God for what God is getting ready to do through him and these 300 men. And then he runs back to his camp. He divides the 300 into groups of 100. And with God's help, listen to this, they defeat 135,000 men with trumpets, jars, and torches. Crazy stuff. Now, I think it's easy for us as people to hear a story like this and to assume that in order for God to pull off this amazing victory through Gideon, that Gideon had to be this man of great faith, great courage, and great ability. Like I think for us as people, we probably think that God went out and he said, okay, who's the best guy I got? Who's the most amazing guy living in all of Israel? And that's how he found Gideon. I mean, that's the way we naturally think as people, isn't it? Think about the last time you needed someone to do something for you, whether it was, you know, work on your house, repair your car, do landscaping, cut your hair. Who did you go and find? You went and found the most reputable, the most credible, the most skilled. Nobody wants to walk around with a bad haircut, right? And so you went and you found that person that you think was going to be best for the job. But listen, here's what I need you to know about God this morning. When God wants to accomplish something great in our world, he rarely goes looking for the most reputable, the most credible, the most courageous, skilled person. You see, most oftentimes, God goes after that person that it makes absolutely no sense to go after. Most oftentimes, he goes after the least reputable. He goes after the coward. He goes after someone who doesn't seem to have the right giftings required to accomplish the work that he wants to get done. Most oftentimes, God goes after ordinary, unassuming, messed up people to advance his kingdom in this world and to make his name great. And listen, if you don't believe me, like I'm cool with that, you don't have to believe me, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, just go home and read this book. And read about the men and women in this book that God used. Go home and read stories of men like Abraham and Moses and David. Go read the stories of Joshua, of Jonah, of Daniel, of Jeremiah. Go New Testament and read the stories of the disciples that Jesus called to follow him. I mean, that was one of the biggest bunch of screw-ups we find in all the Bible, right? But Jesus called them. I mean, that's what you find in all these stories. Men who didn't quite fit the bill to be used by God Yet God used them anyway. And church, listen to me. This very same thing was true of Gideon. You see, when God first came to Gideon to tell him about his amazing plan, he didn't meet a Gideon who was brave and courageous and had amazing faith. In fact, Gideon was the opposite. He was nervous, he was reluctant, and he was full of excuses. And if you look at Judges 6, you'll find this to be true. Now, I want us to unpack Gideon from Judges 6. And then we're going to bring us into this, okay? So if you're taking notes, write some of this stuff down. Um, Judges 6, Gideon, very unqualified. Very unqualified for the job that God was calling him to. Do you know what Gideon did for a job? What he did for work each day? Um, Gideon, he wasn't a great warrior. He wasn't a soldier. He, he didn't box, right? He wasn't an MMA fighter. We're in Bartow County, so it's worth mentioning he wasn't a WWE wrestler, Right? He didn't do any of that. You know what he did? He was a farmer. He grew crops day in and day out. When God came and found Gideon to tell him about his plan, Gideon was actually hiding out in his father's wine press, threshing wheat. See, God had never, Gideon had never fought anyone. 
He had never swung a sword at another man's head. He was not trained and equipped and qualified to lead an army against 135,000 trained soldiers. But church, listen to me. God used him anyway. Um, Judges 6, Gideon. Not only was he unqualified, he was really skeptical. Very skeptical. If you look at verses 12 and 13 in Judges 6, look at what it says. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So again, God, he shows up. Hey, Gideon, um, I'm with you. And Gideon goes, nope, I don't believe it. Gideon, I'm here. I'm present with you. Nope, I think you're lying to me. I mean, Gideon's response is truly this. He says, if you're with us, why are we suffering so much? If you're with us, why so much hardship? I mean, I've heard about all the amazing things you did for your people in the past, but as long as I've been on the earth, I have seen none of those things. Listen to me. Gideon completely misses the fact that his people are the ones who have walked away from God. God never walked away from them. He misses the fact that his people, they've set up false gods. They've abandoned God, and because of their choices, they are now suffering the consequences. But listen to me. Even in spite of Gideon's skepticism, toward God and his love and care for his people. Listen, God still chooses to use him anyway. Um, Gideon, he was doubtful. He was doubtful. If you keep reading the next two verses, 14 and 15, you find this. The Bible goes on to say, the Lord turned to him, to Gideon, said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So God responds to Gideon. Gideon, listen, I am God. I'm with you. I'm the one sending you. And Gideon's response to God is, God, I cannot do this. God, my family is the weakest, lamest family in all the land around here. And God, I don't know if you notice this about me, I am the weakest and lamest in my entire family. God, isn't there someone else you can use? Can't someone else do this for me? I'm not a soldier. Who in the world's going to go with me? Gideon's looking at himself going, I I can't do this, God. I I just can't. He's full of doubts. But listen, church, God uses him anyway. And lastly, Gideon, he's fearful. He's fearful of what God is calling him to. He's wrestling with what God is asking him to do. And in the midst of that, here's what Gideon does. He says, God, I need a sign. I need a, God, if this is you speaking to me, if this is you asking me to do this, God, I need a sign from you. Have you ever done this before? Like when you feel like God's asking you to do something or, or take a step of faith, you've gone, okay, God, listen, um, this is scaring me out of my mind, so I'm not going to do this unless you give me a sign. God, here's what I need. Right, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. And so at noon, I need to see the clouds open up, and then I need to see this one cloud in the middle of the sky in the shape of a cross, and that's how I'll know know it's you, right? I need a sign. Or or God, at 2.43 a.m., exactly, I need a phone to ring, and I need to hear God is able playing on the other end. And if you give me that sign, God, I'll know it's you, and I'll, I'll take this step. Listen to me, this is Gideon. He's sitting here going, God, give me something. Let me know it's you. Give me a sign. 
And he doesn't just do this once. He actually asks for a sign three different times. And God each time comes through for him. You see, God chooses to use Gideon even in spite of his fear and his cowardice. Now, let me bring us into this, okay? See, I assume that maybe, just maybe, there are some of us in the room today, again, questioning whether or not it's truly possible for God to use our lives to accomplish something that advances his kingdom in this world and makes him known to others. Like, I assume that maybe there are some of us in the room today who can identify with Gideon. We know what it feels like to feel unqualified, doubtful, skeptical, and fearful. Like some of us, again, what we're here, and you're sitting in your seat going, James, you don't know what I've done, bro. You don't know what my past looks like. God can't use me. Or maybe you've shown up the past several weeks, and you've gone, yeah, I want to be a part of that, but share Jesus with my neighbors, my coworkers. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't know what to say. I mean, what am I supposed to do? That's awkward. That's uncomfortable. I don't know how to pull that off. Maybe you've sat here for the past month and, and you've thought about getting in a group and getting connected or you've thought about serving. You've even thought about giving to the mission of this church financially. But every time you think about those things, you always come up with excuses as to why you can't. God, I don't make enough money. God, student ministry scares the daylights out of me. Those kids will eat me alive, right? Or, or groups, that's weird. Who wants to sit on somebody's couch they don't know and talk about life? I don't, I don't like that. God, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm unqualified. I'm not cut out for this. That scares me to death. And God, I don't know if you'll be with me. And God, I don't think I have what it takes. Listen to me. If that's you, here's the good news for you today. Are you ready? Listen to this. Don't miss it. If that's you, you are in the perfect place right now to be used by God for amazing, extraordinary things that make him known to the world around you. Remember what I said already? When God wants to accomplish amazing things, he doesn't busy himself with searching for the most qualified, reputable, credible people. Instead, God most oftentimes is looking for the unassuming, unqualified person who doesn't know if they have what it takes. He's out busy looking for Judges 6, Gideon types of people. And church, the reason is simple. Here's why. Because when God does amazing work through the life of an unqualified, skeptical, doubtful, fearful person, listen, he gets all the credit for it. You see, God doesn't want that person who steps up and goes, I'm awesome, I'm gifted, got to have what it takes. Hey, call on me, put me in, and I'll blow this thing out of the water. God's not looking for that person. He's looking for the people, the person that's going, God, are you kidding? Why would you ask me to do that? God, I can't do that. Are you serious? I don't have what that takes. But he wants that person just to be willing to say, God, even though I feel unqualified and doubtful and skeptical and fearful, I'm going to say yes because I know it's you. And then God has the opportunity to show off his power and his might through your life. And when he does that again, all the honor, all the glory, all the credit goes to him. You see, if you feel like Gideon did in Judges 6, again, you are in the perfect place right now to be used by God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he, he writes this very same thing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what he says to them in verses 26 through 29. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, listen, so that what? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God loves to take ordinary people and to use them to accomplish extraordinary things on his behalf so that other ordinary, unassuming, messed up people can find their way back to him. So listen to me for a moment, church. I don't care what you've done. And it doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. It does not matter who has told you along the way that you are not good enough and that you'll never amount to anything. It doesn't matter who's walked out on you, who's abused you, who's abandoned you. It doesn't matter what you've struggled with, what kind of addictions have plagued you. I don't care what is causing you at this moment to feel unqualified, skeptical, doubtful, or fearful of what God wants to do in and through your life. Look at me. God can use you. He can use you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. God can use you, church, not because of you, but because of him. I mean, if God can speak creation into being, if God can part seas, if God can wipe entire nations off the face of the planet with a single word, look at me, if he can defeat an army of 135,000 with an army of 300, if he can conquer sin, death, and hell on your behalf through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, he can use you. Don't put God in a box. Don't put limits on him. He can use you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And here's the other beautiful thing. It's not just that God can use you. It's that God wants to use you. See, I think that's where some of this falls apart for some of us. We think, oh, yeah, yeah, he can, but he doesn't really want to. I mean, I, look at me. No, God delights in you. He created you for a great purpose. And more than anything, God wants to save you through his son, Jesus Christ, if you don't already know him. And then what he wants to do, the, the Bible of Isaiah, or the book of Isaiah tells us this, he wants to put you on display in this world for his glory and his splendor. God loves you, and he wants to use you for things that point other people back to him. So, so what do you do with this? If you're sitting here going, well, James, that's awesome. How in the world do I respond? Well, it's simple. Here's what you do. You take a step. You put what you say you believe about God into action, and you take a step. But we're going to talk a lot about faith next Sunday, so I'm not going to really dig into this. But let me just ask you this. Do you believe that God can do anything? And don't just say, yeah, like, oh, yeah, we're in church. I'm supposed to say, yeah. Like, do you really believe that? That he can do anything? Like, do you believe that nothing is too hard for him? See, if you're the person sitting here going, yeah, absolutely, I believe those things about God. But listen to me, take a step. Well, James, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm doubtful. Again, God can use you not because of you, but because of him. And if he can do anything and nothing is too hard for him, and you say you believe that, you have to be willing to put your faith into action and to take a step toward whatever it is God is calling you to do. I love what Warren Wearsby says about faith. He says, faith means obeying God in spite of what we see, in spite of how we feel, or what the consequences might be. So even today, if you feel unqualified, skeptical, doubtful, or fearful, 
If you believe what you say you believe about God and you trust that he can use you, not because of you, but because of who he is, then this is what it means for some of us. It means we need to walk out of the room, go straight to the connection desk today, and we need to say, um, sign me up to serve. Just pray for me that the kids don't kill me, but I'm going to serve, right? Um, sign me up for a group. Where do I need to sign up? Like, I have to get connected to this church, and I'm going to take a step, even though it scares me to death. Some of you need to leave today, and you need to go, I've got to figure this out, but I need to go knock on my neighbor's door sometime this week and invite them over for dinner and tell them I've been a bad neighbor and I want to do better and I want to be their friend so that eventually I can find out whether or not they know Jesus. And if they don't, I can help them find their way back to him. But you have to take a step. Some of us have to go home and talk with our spouse about that's our church and we go there and we say we love those people. We need to start giving. Take a step. You trust God. You trust that he can use you because of who he is. And this morning, we're just going to pray and we're going to ask God to help us do just that. So I want to ask you, if you will, just to join me with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that, as the Bible says, that you are the creator of the heavens and earth. God, that right now you are the one holding all things together. God, that it is because of you that we live and move and we have our being. God, we say today that we believe you are powerful, that there's nothing too hard for you. God, that all things are possible with you. And so God, in the face of fear and skepticism and doubt this morning, remind us of your greatness. Remind us of your power. Remind us that you are a God who ultimately, God, has defeated death and hell on our behalf. And if you can do that, God, you can do anything through us. God, give us courage. Give us faith. Help us to trust you. God, help us to step into whatever it is, God, that we believe you're calling us to do trusting that you are able to use us because of who you are. God, I just pray right now in this moment that you would help some of us in the room just to get our eyes off of ourself and turn our eyes onto you. God, we want to be a church here in this community, God, that truly does everything we do for your glory and your renown, God. So we're not asking you to do great things through us, God, so that we can point other people back to us, God. We're, we're asking you to do great things through us so that we can point other people back to you and who you are. Listen, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where you have to start. Again, I want you to know this morning that in spite of you and in spite of what you've done, God loves you, and he created you with a purpose in mind. And today, God wants a relationship with you. And if you need to make that decision for the first time, you can just say something like this to God, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, just in the quietness of your heart, say, God, I know that I've blown it. I know that I've made mistakes. God, I have sinned, and I have not lived up to being the person you've created me to be, God. But I believe that's exactly why you sent Jesus. And God, today I confess and believe that Jesus, he's God and he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. 
so that I could be saved into new life and eternal life. And God, I'm just asking you for that gift today. Save me, forgive me, God, and use my life for something that matters from this point forward. And if you just prayed that prayer, something like that, I just want to encourage you before you leave today, grab one of those connection cards around you in the seat backs. There's a place on there for you to check that you prayed today to receive Jesus as your Savior for the first time. If you take that to the connection desk before you go, we have a gift for you, just some resources that will help you get started in your relationship with Jesus. And we want to pray for you by name. God, for the rest of us again, help us, give us faith. Give us courage. And God, we trust that you will. We love you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.